ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೋಭುನಕ್ತು ಸಹವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವಧೀತಮಸ್ತು ಮಿದ್ವಿಷಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಣಮದ ಪೂರ್ಣಮಿದೂರ್ಣಾತ್ಪೂರ್ಣಮುದಚ್ಯತೆ ಪೂರ್ಣಸ್ಯ ಪೂರ್ಣಮಾ ಪೂರ್ಣಮೇವಶಿಷ್ಯತೆ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಶ್ರುತಿಸ್ಮೃತಿಪುರಾಣಲಯಂಕರುಣಾಲಯ ನಮಿ ಭಗವತ್ಪಾದೋಕಶಂಕರಾಚಾರ್ಯ ಕೇಶವಂಬಾದರಾಯಣ ಸೂತ್ರಭಾಷ್ಯಕೃತೌ ವಂದೇ ಭಗವಂತೌ ಪುನಃ ಪುನಃ ಈಶ್ವರೋ ಗುರುರಾತ್ಮೇ ಮೂರ್ತಿಭೇದಿಭಾಗಿನೆ ವ್ಯೋಮವ್ಯಾಪ್ತೇಹಾಯ ದಕ್ಷಿಣಮೂರ್ತ ನಮಃ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಫಿಫ್ತ್ ವರ್ಷ್ ಚಾಂಟ್ ಶ್ರೀಭಗವಾಚ ಜನ್ಮಚಾರ್ಜುನ ತಾನ್ಯಹಂ ವೇದ ಸರ್ವಾಣಿ ನೇತ್ರ ಪರಂತ ಅಜೋಪಿ ಸನ್ನವ್ಯಯಾತ್ಮ ಭೂತೀಶ್ವರೋಪಿ ಸನ್ನ ಪ್ರಕೃತಿ ಸ್ವಾಮಧಿಷ್ಠಾಧಿಧರ್ಮಸ್ಲಾನಿರ್ಭವತಿ ಭಾರತ ಅಭ್ಯುತ್ಥಾನಮಧರ್ಮಸ್ಯಾತ್ಮಾನೃಜಾಮ್ಯಹಂತ್ರಾಣಸಾಧೂನಾಶಾಯ ಸಂಭವಾಮಿಯುಗೇಯುಗೇಧರ್ಮಸ್ಯಾನಿಧರ್ಮ ಸೋ ವೈ ಧರ್ಮ ಲಿವಿಂಗ್ ಲೈಫ
that life is conducive to the prosperity, both the material prosperity as well as the spiritual prosperity of the human beings. <coughs> and therefore, its maintenance is very important. It is important that dharma or righteousness should prosper, because then there will be overall prosperity. Yada yadahi dharmasya glani bhavati Whenever there is a decline in dharma, which means that there will be decline in the prosperity. And primarily there will be decline in the, the spiritual prosperity of the human beings. What is spiritual prosperity is when to the extent to which my true nature becomes manifest in my life, to that extent I am spiritually prosperous person. Because the self, as I said, is is free, is whole and complete being. It is the locus of all the virtues. Self is the locus of all the virtues, such as love or kindness, compassion. The really Atma, the self, is the locus of all these virtues. Meaning that these virtues we possess in in infinite measure. Meaning that each one of us is is in essentially a kind and good and loving person. This is what we are. <clears throat> However I may look like, yes it is true, as we explained the other day, because of ignorance, which causes a sense of individuality, which causes in turn the likes and dislikes, which if not handled properly can result into his anger and whatever, which can even result into cruelty. So because of ignorance, that appear to be a distortion in my personality. I seem to be acting in a manner quite contrary to what I really am. And still, the true nature of my soul does not get affected regardless of what my behavior is, just as the rope upon which the idea of snake is superimposed, the rope never gets affected by whatever idea is superimposed. And so also, the self does not get affected by any disposition of mind. Mind is sattvic, rajas, tamas, and all of these things belong to the mind. Meaning that what we call the virtues as well as vices, all of these are at the level of mind. And so all this vicious behavior is the distortion of our true nature on account of ignorance. But even when a person appears to be vicious, still as I said, Inherently, he remains a a, a, a right good person. <clears throat> Even that person also who is a cruel person and who is perhaps violating the rights of others, also does not want his rights to be violated. He doesn't want cruelty to be perpetrated to him. And therefore, his desire for non-violence or his value for non-violence, truthfulness, is buried underneath, but it is there. And so, the atmosphere in the society should be such that it is conducive to bring about the goodness from a person, which is there. And the same, so we, because our nature is made up of sattva, rajas and tamas, sattva is purity where all, as I said, the goodness, the virtues become evident. Rajas is when the rajas involves a certain amount of distortion, there is, then there is agitation, there is desire, there is ambition, there is aggressiveness. 
tamasya is a further distortion when all the negativities come out or my really goodness becomes distorted and it looks like all the anger and jealousies and cruelty, they become manifest. Sattva, rajas and tamas, all of this is at the level of the mind. And the mind being what it is, it is subject to being influenced by the environment. Therefore, if there prevails an environment where my goodness becomes evident, well, that's what will happen. If there is an environment where the evil in me becomes manifest, that also can happen. Thus, we can invoke either of these from a person. It is true that to invoke goodness is very difficult. To invoke the... uh, the, the evil is very easy. To make a crowd throw stones and destroy is very easy. To make the same crowd to go and, and, and help and serve may be rather difficult. And therefore, ordinarily a human being requires a conducive atmosphere where he can grow, like a plant requires an, an atmosphere where it can grow. So if there prevails in the society in a, an atmosphere of dharma or righteousness, that is conducive to bringing out the good goodness from the human being. That's how the prosperity will be there. On the other hand, if there prevails adharma and righteousness, then those aspects will be brought out and this is what will prevail. Therefore, it is important that a right kind of environment should prevail in the society, which is what we call dharma. And if that is there, it will take care of itself. Therefore, Lord considers it very important that the dharma or the righteousness in the society should prevail. However, when the righteousness declines to such an extent that it becomes ineffective to assert itself, and the evil spreads to such an extent that it seems to govern everything, then a point has come when dharma is no, I mean, then the society will not be able to gain prosperity or even there will not be harmony also. So, that is when the avatara comes. That is when I take an appropriate upadhi. <coughs> Somebody reminded me, Swamiji, you uh, uh, said, Puja Swamiji says about some, something about avatara, you know. So, what Swamiji says is when people ask, Swamiji, when is the next avatara going to come? He says, you have to wait. Because still, the, the Kali Yuga is, is in its only early stages. When Kali Yuga becomes really uh, strong, that is when no such thing will be possible. It would not be even, commun- you know, won't, this kind of thing will not be possible. It would be difficult even to utter the word Gita. That kind of an atmosphere may prevail. I guess that is when an avatara, avatara will be required. That is just whatever. But this concept avatar or incarnation can also be understood in this way that there is a provision in the scheme of things, of creation, that whenever the need is, some powerful force is thrown up to set things right. Whether you look upon that force as God or not, but this is for sure, that the world is not going to be destroyed that dharma will not be destroyed, that there is a provision 
in the, in the creation that some powerful forces will come, will manifest from time to time to change the trends, to set things right. And we do see powerful movements coming up from time to time. As we mentioned yesterday, like protection of the environment. That right now, man understands that he is a guardian of nature and not an exploiter of nature. So this understanding has come. Also there is, of course, many wars have been fought. And there is still a lot of conflict in the human society in many places. But a overall value for peace has come into the world. That world wants peace. There are pockets of violence, but still, overall the world wants peace. And that is what at least everybody, our world leaders also are trying. And so, the idea is that people recognize that peace is important, harmony is important, and that the borders should become less and less defined, like this movement for what we call the European community, etc., where there is an attempt to, uh, to try to overcome the, the differences created by different boundaries and languages, etc., and try to, uh, to bring about a unity. It's not easy to do these things because the hard wiring of individuality, insecurity, so much that it would take time before we can uh, chop our individual agenda and, and identify with a larger agenda. But at least there are attempts being made. As I said, the trends are there. So whereas one may have all the reason to be disappointed because of the, because of the fighting and struggle and starvation that's going on, the other side is that these other things are also there. And understand that a lot of goodness is there in the world. It's not that everything is all evil. It's not that there is cruelty everywhere. A lot of kindness also is there. It may not be reported. What the newspapers will report is only these kind of sensational things. And nobody is reporting and nobody may be interested because it's not very exciting to learn about the acts of kindness. There are plenty. So it is not that the dharma has disappeared from this world or the kindness has disappeared from the world and there is nothing but the jungle or the forest. That's not true. Still a lot of goodness prevails. And from what these verses tell us that it will prevail. There may be times, as we say, that is how the, the Vedic culture talks about the different yuga, the Satya yuga, the Treta yuga, Dwapar yuga, Kali yuga, where there is a declining uh, effectiveness of dharma, and so dharma and the unrighteousness progressively grows, but it is cyclic. There again, the cycle will turn back. This is how the, the scriptures talk about. So these are some overall trends, but the principle of avatar, as I said, can be understood as meaning that things will set it themselves right. Things will happen by which then powerful positive forces also will emerge in, in an atmosphere where there seems to be nothing but disappointment, things will happen. <clears throat> Who can imagine that India can gain uh, freedom, you know? What a powerful force and what forces came up to in fact uh, send back the, the British, you know, and then uh, uh, assert the right for freedom. It was a very powerful moment. 
And if you look at that time, of course Mahatma Gandhi was a leader and most well-known person. At that time, however, in those 50 years, there was a galaxy, I mean there was a whole gallery of, a galaxy of great uh, luminaries in India. So somehow that atmosphere seemed to create great people. So anyway, I mean some of these things do show and this we find in every country in, in, in you know that there are moments coming up from time to time. And thus the principle of avatar incarnation can be understood that way also. If you are difficult in accepting a person as God or a man or, or accepting that somebody was you know a godly person or whatever. Not person, God himself. Avatar is not a godly person, understand? He is God. Meaning that even when someone like, like Lord Krishna, even though he has a human body which seems to be limited like every other human body, but that body in no way restrains his totality. Meaning that he remains Bhagavan, he remains omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, even while he seems to be functioning only through that little body. That is what I say that the body is not a product of karma. It is a creation of maya, meaning that it looks like it is body, but then it does not have any of these binding factors because there is no identification with body also. <coughs> As it is not that the body that really restrains us, it is identification of the body. But still, yes, the body-mind is the, is, the, is the medium through which we express ourselves. And therefore, the body-mind complex of Lord Krishna also is such that it does not in any way restrain the manifestation of the totality from him. So this is what is meant by the upadhi or the embodiment of avatara, which appears to be like any other body, but which, has, which does not have any restraining effect itself, therefore Lord Krishna could say, Tanyaham Veda Sarvani Natvam Vetha Parantapa He Parantapa, He Arjuna, I know all the births of the past, mine, yours and everybody's. So Arjuna's or somebody's question can be that Lord Krishna also looks like a human being, like anybody else. Then how can you say that he imparted this knowledge in the beginning of creation? <clears throat> the point is that even though Lord Krishna seems to be functioning through a human body, he says that I am omniscient. Meaning that that upadhi does not obstruct the omniscience of the Lord. Whereas this upadhi of an ordinary person, which is a product of karma, restrains, you know, obstructs the manifestation of the the. Uh, the the omniscience omnipotent. But Lord Krishna's Upadhi does not obstruct, meaning that he remains all-knowing. He remains omnipotent, all-powerful. He remains God as, you know, creator, sustainer, dissolver. This is what Avatara is, essentially God, only who has taken this particular form. And why is the form necessary? It is necessary because Ishwara or God who is transcendental reality has to assume what we call a vyavaharic sattva, a vyavaharic reality, then alone he can function in vyavahara. Remaining where he is transcendental, everything is okay. Understand, transcendental God doesn't help us in any way. He's not useful. 
In fact, Brahman is my nature. Doesn't do anything. Brahman is myself. He witnesses everything. If there is anger in my mind, that also it witnesses. Upadrashta Anumantaja. It is a very close approximate witness as well as one that permits everything. Because everything is mithya. Just as a movie screen permits everything, whatever be going on in the movie, the screen does not object to it because it is superimposition anyway. And therefore, the transcendental self that I am is not opposed to anything. Therefore, the transcendental self must be made vyavharic self. What is vyavhara? Vyavhara means an objective reality. Meaning that God must be brought down to the objective level. Then alone objective problems can be solved. So solution should be compatible to the nature of problem. Just as electricity does not dispel the darkness, electricity must be made to manifest as light, then it becomes the same degree of reality as the darkness is, then alone that light can dispel darkness. Even though light is nothing but manifestation of electricity, but electricity as it is, because it, it is a different degree of reality, therefore, it does not directly dispel darkness. That electricity must be brought to the level of vyavhara, meaning it should be brought to a level of, the, level of the reality of darkness, then alone it can dispel darkness. And so also, God must be brought to the level of this objective concrete reality, then alone he can he can do something in this reality. That is why Paritranaya Sadhunam, then he can take the, the the side of the devotees. Then he can take the side of the the the, the pious people. So Paritranaya Sadhunam for very well protecting the sadhus or the pious people. Vinayasaya Dushkritam and for destroying the wicked. Now, as far as Brahman is concerned, it is not opposed to sadhu or wicked anybody because Lord Krishna says, Samoham Sarabhuteshu Name Dveshyostinapriyaha. I equally abide everywhere and I have no partiality and no cruelty towards anybody. Therefore, he equally is present in all wicked people also. He is a cell of wicked people also. Meaning that even what we call a wicked person also, if you look into the very core, he will turn out to be the same divinity. But because of the wickedness, it has become so buried underneath that it's almost not visible. But then only when God comes to the reality, this objective reality, then alone he takes a side of the good people, he becomes opposed to the evil people, and that's how he destroys the evil to establish the goodness. <coughs> dharma samsthapana arthaya and the third thing that Lord does is dharma samsthapanam is nothing but the establishment of dharma. <coughs> establish samsthapanam establishment of dharma. Establishment of dharma in case of Lord Rama who is also an incarnation he established dharma by practicing dharma. So Lord Rama in fact established dharma righteousness by demonstrating what righteousness is by following that in his own life. Lord Krishna on the other hand, not only he followed dharma but then 
he taught dharma also by way of Bhagavad Gita and by way of several other dialogues that we find in Mahabharata and Srimad Bhagavatam and other elsewhere where Lord Krishna's teachings are there for establishment of the dharma, establishment of what is right. <coughs> this, these three tasks of the avatara incarnation are stated. One is protecting the good, second is destroying the evil and third is establishing dharma or establishing righteousness by way of setting example by his own behavior as well as teaching to the eligible people. We have have many avatars. In all avatars incarnation all these tasks may not be seen. We may not find all the three happening in every avatar. In the avatar as Lord Krishna, we find all of this. That he protected the good, like Pandavas and others. He destroyed the evil, like the Kamsa and Kauravas, etc. And he established dharma by way of teaching Bhagavad Gita and the scriptures. In the life of Lord Rama also we see that, that he also protected the rishis, the good. He also destroyed the evil and he also taught dharma by way of his own behavior as well as there are many dialogues wherein Lord Rama also has taught dharma. <coughs> but there are other avatars such as the fish and the tortoise, they just came for a, only that for a period of time when it was required to perform a certain task and that's it. So the incarnation of fish was primarily to retrieve the Vedas. The task done, the avatara is over. Incarnation of a tortoise is primarily to support the Mount Meru, which was the churning rod for churning the milky ocean. The task was done, that avatar was over. Nrusimha avatara, meaning the half man and half lion was there to destroy that Hiranyakashipu and save Prahlada, and then it's done. These avatars, Rama and Krishna, went on for a very long time, and that is where all the aspects of avatara can be seen. So in some avatara we may see one, in some avatars we may see two, in some we may see all the three aspects. <coughs> but to a Vedantin, this avatara also has a greatest another significance. <coughs> As we say, I am Brahman, whether I know it or not. But it is not enough that I am Brahman, it is necessary to know that I am Brahman. It is not enough that I am the tenth man, it is necessary to know that I am the tenth man. Only then I get the benefit of being the tenth man. And so also for me to really be benefited from the fact that I am Brahman or I am limitless, that I should know that. So Brahman which is transcendental as you said, must be brought to the level, our level. Therefore, we accept what we call a subjective avatara, adhyatmic avatara or incarnation of Lord taking place at the subjective individual level. You know, what is avatara? Avataranam is coming down. Avataranam means coming down and God comes down to the earth. In our case also, when the knowledge takes place, I am Brahman then Brahman becomes really an object of my knowledge as a self. Brahman becomes the object of knowledge, Jnana Vritti, 
अहम ब्रह्मास्मि आई एम ब्रह्मन दैट इज कॉल्ड ज्ञान वृत्ति दैट्स अ थॉट रिवीलिंग द नेचर ऑफ द सेल्फ एंड ब्रह्मन दैरफर कम्स डाउन टू दैट थॉट लेवल एंड रिवील्स हिमसेल्फ एज माई ओन सेल्फ दैट इज कॉल्ड आध्यात्मिक अवतार और द इनकानेशन द इंडिविजुअल लेवल विच इज मोस्ट इंपॉर्टेंट टू अस बिकॉज अदरवाइज यू मे से स्वामी जी ट्रूथ इज ट्रांसेंडेंटल हाउ कैन यू वन नो दैट इट इज बियॉन्ड माइंड इज बियॉन्ड वर्ड बियॉन्ड एवरीथिंग हाउ यू वन नो दैट इवन दो इट इज बियॉन्ड माइंड एंड बियॉन्ड वर्ड एक्सेट्रा स्टिल इट कैन बिकम द ऑब्जेक्ट ऑफ नॉलेज ऑफ द माइंड इट कैन बी नोन इन द माइंड वेन इट बिकम्स फेवरेबल और कंड्यूस इट वर्स So in the tenth chapter, Lord Krishna says that when I see my devotees worshiping me simply out of love or devotion, with no other objective, then I give them that knowledge. As prompted by compassion towards them, I, who besides in their own heart and their own self, reveal myself as their own self and light the lamp of knowledge. dispelling the darkness of ignorance so in the 10th chapter lord krishna says that it is i who reveal myself as the self of my devotee that is called the avatara he comes down to my heart and reveals himself as myself this avatara incarnation can be understood as at the three levels adi devika adi bhautika adhyatmika at the divine level at the elemental level at the individual level <clears throat> what is the benefit of knowing avatara what's the benefit of knowing lord who comes as avatara what is the benefit of that knowledge that is being told in the next verse <clears throat> जन्मकर्म च मे दिव्य वेत्ति तत्व त्यक्वादेहम पुनर्जन्म नैति मेति सोर्जुन जन्म कर्म च मे दिव्यम लॉर्ड कृष्णा से माई जन्म माई बर्थ एंड कर्म माई एक्शन इज दिव्यम दिव्यम इज डिवाइन सो लॉर्ड कृष्णा से इज नाउ लुक एट मी एंड अंडरस्टैंड मी प्रॉपरली इफ यू अंडरस्टैंड मी प्रॉपरली दैन यू अंडरस्टैंड योर सेल्फ ऑल्सो प्रॉपरली सो लॉर्ड कृष्णा से इज अंडरस्टैंड द नेचर ऑफ माई बर्थ it is divyam janma meaning it is divine but what is meant is that i appear to be born like everybody else but i am not really born jatahiva as though born why do we say that because if the birth was in the real sense then that birth would have been the product of karma if the birth was in the real sense then that birth would also bring about a limitation by the embodiment If Lord Krishna's birth was real, then he would be a really limited individual. 
then we can call him Mahapurusha, we can call him a great soul. But we cannot call him God, you know. Mahapurusha is one thing, Avatara is another thing. Mahapurusha means a great soul, a great person. Mahatma, a great soul. And there are many. But Avatara means God. The difference between a wise person and Avatara incarnation is that even a wise person also was born ignorant. Otherwise one would not be born. Only an ignorant person can be born. And in course of the time, this ignorant person became wise, so now we call him wise person, who enjoys the same degree of freedom as God does, yes. There is no difference in the sense, wise person also enjoys the same degree of freedom, internally, as God would. He does not have the powers of God because he is limited by his authority. But he knows, whatever God knows as his own self as Brahman, the wise person also knows. In fact, he knows God as his own self. But a wise person, they can be called a great man, but not Avatara, not God. Because, as I said, his, all his faculties are still limited. Whereas Avatara, such as Lord Krishna, is born enlightened, meaning that, you know, is wise from the birth, because, as you said, there is no obstruction to his knowledge. <coughs> Not only that, but as we said, all the powers that a Bhagavan has, you know what is Bhagavan? Bhagaha asyasti iti Bhagavan. So, a word for God in Sanskrit is Bhagavan, where word Bhaga stands for these six things. Aishwaryasya, Samagrasya, Dharmasya, Yashasaha, Shriyaha, Vairagyasya, Athamokshasya, Shrannam, Bhaga, Iti Ingana. The six things are called Bhaga. Aishwaryam, the overlordship. Dharma, the righteousness. Yashas, the fame or glory. Shri, the prosperity or prosperity or beauty. Vairagya, dispassion, and moksha, total freedom or liberation or knowledge. When these six, these six things are in total measure, the one who possesses all the six glories in total measure is called Bhagavan. Although out of reverence, we call other human beings also as Bhagavan. There are many great saints who were called Bhagavan by the devotees, and very often, disciples call their Guru as Bhagavan also, out of reverence. And because some aspects of Bhagavan are possessed by these great people, but still, nobody can be Bhagavan in the primary sense, except God. So, Lord Krishna is Bhagavan in the primary sense. That's why Bhagavashi Bhagavan You see, Lord Bhagavan means Blessed Lord said. So, here Lord Krishna says that, understand the nature of my birth, contemplate upon my birth and contemplate upon the action that I perform. You'll find that in spite of my birth really, it is as though being born and that I remain birthless in spite of appearing to be born. And Lord Krishna seems to perform many actions, understand that 
I am actionless in spite of appearing to perform actions. That's a divinity. The divinity is that even though Lord Krishna appears to perform all the actions, in reality, Lord Krishna says, I do not perform anything. Because I know that I am actionless. Therefore, as though performing actions, as though being born, and as though performing actions, this is how we understand Lord Krishna. Then we understand our own self also. Because the self that Lord Krishna is, is the self that you and I are. Because I, the self also, is birthless. Even though I say that I was born at a certain time, really, there is no birth for the self. And later on we will discuss how. Even though we think that we are performing various actions, in fact, the self does not perform any action at all. The self is actionless by nature. Ajopisanna avyayatma bhutanam ishwaropisan. The true nature of myself is, I am birthless. I am deathless. I am changeless. I am ever free. That is the nature of Lord Krishna himself told us. In the earlier verse we were told, the fifth, you know, in, this, in the sixth verse we were told, Ajopisan avyayatma bhutanam ishwaropisan. Even though I am birthless. So, recognize the birthless through the birth. Recognize the actionless through action. Recognize the deathless in and through the death. So Lord Krishna also passed away. He also was born as though, but then it is as though. There is no birth, there is no death in the self. And when we know him that way, as we said, we know ourselves also because the self is ever free from birth, self is ever free from death, self is ever free from changes, such as doership, enjoyership, and therefore, I or the self doesn't perform any action. Not only Lord Krishna is divine, you and I are also divine. Same divinity. Same divinity. Same wholeness and completeness which Lord Krishna represents is ourselves. And therefore, the reason why we want to understand Lord Krishna, the reason why we want to deliberate upon His nature, is that in so doing, we are in fact understanding ourselves. Understand in deliberating upon ourselves. We may not know so. But then that is what Vedanta enables us to do. That the subject matter of Vedanta is the self. Self alone is God. Self alone is Jiva. Self alone is everything. And therefore, when we listen to Vedanta, and when we deliberate upon the statements of Vedanta, in fact, we are knowingly or unknowingly deliberating upon our own true nature. And that is why knowing Lord Krishna is knowing ourselves. <clears throat> Other thing also, as we said, here, may of mine can be as Lord Krishna. It can be Ishwara also. Lord Krishna has understand me, understand God, which is a difficult thing to understand, but understand. Yesterday we pointed out that even though there may appear to be a cruelty in the action outwardly, 
when the Lord seems to kill the, the demons, the wicked people. It may appear that there is a cruelty there. Sometimes we find Lord Rama also getting angry, you know. Or sometimes we find him, he is also like an ordinary human being, suffering and experiencing grief and pain on account of separation from his wife. So those emotions look like human beings. So this in fact created, there is this story which is told in the in Ramcharitmanas by Tulsidasi, where seeing this conduct of Lord Rama, that he was weeping when his wife was kidnapped, he was angry at, at Ravana. So the concept of Lord Shiva, Parvati, Parvati who is the who is goddess actually, and concert of Lord Shiva. She was, she in fact was deluded looking at this behavior. And she asks of Lord Shiva, because Lord Shiva is said to be a great devotee of Rama. It is said that Lord Shiva always repeats name Rama, Rama, Rama. That's all he does. So Parvati asks Lord Shiva, who is this Rama whose name you are repeating? You mean this Rama, who was son of Dasharatha? The one who is, who is weeping, with the, in account of separation from his wife, that's the one that looks like a human being, possessed of the same likes and dislikes. It is his name that you are repeating. So, Lord Shiva did not say anything. So then Parvatiji thought that, let me check up myself as to whether he is really God or who is he. So then, this goddess Parvati went to the forest. At that time, Sitaji was already kidnapped. And the two brothers, Rama and Lakshmana, were searching for Sita in the forest, from place to place. At that time, Parvatiji comes there to check out. And she assumed the form of Sita. Just to see what, how Rama responds, you know, seeing Sita. And so she appeared as Sita. And as soon as she came in front of Rama, you know what she found? There were Rama everywhere. She found countless Rama everywhere. Wherever you look, there was Rama. She was quite confused. And she saw Rama, actual Rama approaching her and said, Mother, what brings you here? Mother, what brings you here? And then she realized, oh, she has been caught. Meaning that she has been, uh, Rama has found out who she is. She was quite put to shame and then she returned. And Lord Shiva knew, she did not quite tell Lord Shiva what happened, you know. What I am trying to say is that even very intelligent people also got deluded looking at what we call Leela or looking at the sport. Therefore, another way of understanding these verses that understand that what all Lord Krishna does is Leela, is his sport really. That when he seems to be born, when he's playing with all these cowherd maidens and with his friends, and when he's fighting uh, with his demons, all of this 
is all nothing but sport. There is no real likes and dislikes involved there. Because normally when a person performs an action, action is performed as prompted by likes and dislikes. That I do something to fulfill my like or I do something to fulfill my dislike. And outwardly it may also look like Lord Krishna also is acting like that like we do, you know. He also seems to be fighting with somebody and making friends with somebody else and so he also seems to be fulfilling likes and dislikes. Therefore Lord Krishna says, Janma karma chame divyam, understand that my action is divine, meaning that behind the action there are no likes and dislikes. Usually an action is performed with some agenda. Understand that my actions are performed without any agenda. Understand that the birth also is taken not because I have any need. The birth also is taken in response to the needs of the devotees. Therefore in the Puranas we read this description. Before an incarnation actually takes place, we find that the devotees of Bhaktas are praying to the Lord everywhere, very intensely, for long period of time. And then they all approach the Lord and request Him to please do something about what is all, all this disaster that is happening on the earth. And then He says, don't worry, I'll come down. So the coming down avatar or incarnation is in response to the prayers of the devotees. And therefore, He comes down to earth only to fulfill the wishes of His devotees. He has nothing to accomplish. In fact, the bhakti, the devotees, you know, the bhaktas, the devotees say that God need not come down to earth for the sake of destroying the evil that he can do sitting there, just by his will he can do that. Why does he have to come down? So we ask them, what do you think then? What, why does he come down? He says, God has to come down because of his devotees. But devotees are also sometimes very unusual and very funny. They make all kinds of unusual requests of Lord. So, like there is a story where this Manu and Shatrupa, the uh, Manu is a king, Manu, you know, Manu and, uh, you heard the name, and his wife Shatrupa. After they went to forest, all kings used to go to forest in the last stages of life and perform penance and give up their body there. So here this couple also performed penance for a long time, very severe penance. And God appeared before them. Param Brahma is, what can, what, what can I do for you? What do you like? They say that, Lord, we want you as our son. What a request. We would like to have you as our son. Now what can even God do? He cannot remain there and be their son. For being their son, he has to come down. There are others who say, Lord, we want you to be our friend. The gopis would say, we want you to be our beloved. Somebody wants the God to be the master. Now all of these desires of the, the devotees cannot be fulfilled as long as God continues to sit up there. He has to come down. And therefore, the bhaktas or devotees only say that God does not come down to do all this fighting and stuff like that. He comes down only to bless his devotees. And therefore, Lord Krishna says that recognize a blessing in everything that I do. That is also divinity. All the actions are performed only to shower His grace. All actions are performed always to bless the devotees. 
And therefore, even though you may, you may feel or you may find me perhaps fighting and killing me a demon, that also is meant only out of compassion. There is no cruelty meant, no ill will meant for anybody. That is what he does, not we do that, but, he, we, you know, but his actions. So therefore, janma karma devyam. Just when we listen to Lord Krishna or, you know, many other incarnations of the various sports and various stories, then also we learn about their true nature as to how all the actions that are performed were performed with only one motive and that is to bless. <coughs> bless not only devotees, bless everybody. Even those who are adversaries, they are also blessed. Except that the method of blessing is different. So the demons are blessed as by being killed. That's the way to bless them. Others are blessed in a different way. But, so understand my karma. So when we understand karma or the actions of Lord Krishna in that way, then we know how to conduct ourselves. How in, in and through what he did, that there were no likes and dislikes, no personal agenda, always grace. Then we can emulate in our life. Then we become karma yogis. And when we understand Lord Krishna's true nature, that he is in fact birthless, he is actionless, then we become, we gain the knowledge of our own self. So both ways, Lord Krishna's birth and Lord Krishna's life, Lord Krishna's actions, both in both ways. As Lord Krishna also, they are, they provide us a great lesson as to how to conduct ourselves and as the as Param Brahma also, he teaches us what our true nature is. So therefore Lord Krishna says, Janma Karma Chamedivyam. Understand that my birth as well as my actions both are divine. They are not this worldly birth, they are not worldly actions. Evam yo vetti tattvataha. One who knows that tattvataha. As they are. Not apparently what they, not what they look like. But as they really are. So what's the real nature of birth, what's the real nature of action, as one understands? Tektvadeham punarjima neti mamedi surjuna. Here, Arjuna, that devotee of mine, deham tektva, departing from this body. Punarjanmanayeti, he is not born again. Mamedi, he attains me, he becomes one with me, meaning that he becomes liberated. Because, as we said, knowing Lord Krishna is knowing ourselves. Because the self that Lord Krishna is, is self that I am. And therefore, knowing Him is knowing myself. Also, understanding the actions of Lord Krishna also enables me to become also a karma yogi, which is a process of self-purification. And then gaining the knowledge of the nature of Lord Krishna is gaining knowledge of my own self. And this is how Knowing Lord Krishna, one becomes liberated. <clears throat> the next question that can arise, this path to liberation of Lord, is it something very recent? This path to liberation. Since when? Since when are the devotees pursuing you? Since when is it that the devotees have been seeking moksha, have been seeking knowledge? Is it something that is recent? Lord Krishna says, no. In fact, this moksha marga, 
meaning the path to moksha, meaning this path of knowledge, has been pursued from the time beginningless, it is not something recent. There also Lord Krishna means to say that what I am saying is not something that comes from me, again it is within the tradition. So next verse explains that. Bahavo Gnana Tapasa Puta Madhava Magata So in last verse Lord Krishna said Chakvadeham Pundajanma Naiti Mamedi Surjana They reach me meaning that I am the ultimate goal I as Param Brahma, I am the ultimate goal. And secondly, this path leading to me is a well-trodden path that it is an ancient path along which many, many aspirants have walked. Who are those aspirants? Lord Krishna says, Vitaraga Bhayakrodaha Manmayaha Mamupashitaha Gnanatapasaputaha Bahavaha Madhavam Agataha. Bahavaha, many. Madhavam Agataha have come to my nature, have become one with me, meaning that have discovered me as their own self, have become liberated. So in this verse, in in few words, Lord Krishna gives us what kind of preparations are required. What are the qualifications or preparedness of these devotees? All the seekers of knowledge who have reached him. So what kind of qualifications are required? First is Vitaraga Bhayakrodaha. Lord Krishna says that my devotees who, who reach me are those who are free from Raga, Bhaya and Krodha. This expression occurs in the Bhagavad Gita often. In case of the description of Sita Pragna also it was said Therefore Lord Krishna says again and again how we should become free from these three things Raga, Bhaya and Krodha. Raga is the attachment that one has towards the object of pleasure. Raga is attachment one has towards the objects of pleasure. We have attachment for the objects of senses. We have attachment for people who also give us an emotional comfort. We have attachment for those fields of knowledge which give us intellectual satisfaction. We also have attachment towards many worldly accomplishments which give us the ego gratification. Our attachments are vast actually. It's not that we are only attached to food and stuff like that. We are attached to many things. Because as we pointed out earlier, we are seeking and experiencing gratification at many levels. The gratification at the grossest level is through the sense pleasures. That's the grossest form of gratification. Subtler than that is the joy that comes in company of the, who, those who are near and dear ones. 
The third level of joy comes in knowing something new with the intellectual satisfaction. And the fourth level of joy comes by gratification of ego, which comes from wealth and power, name and fame and recognition. That's the fourth level of gratification. And therefore, human being has attachment to all this <coughs> in varying degrees. <coughs> Somebody who is intellectual by nature may have more <coughs> attachment to those things and less to others. Somebody who is very emotional may have attachment to those things more which gratify emotions and less to others. Somebody who is a very sensuous person may have attachment to all objects of senses and less to others. Somebody who is a very egoistic person may have attachment to his respect and his, 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 his image and things like that and less to other things. But everybody has attachment, all of them in varying degrees. And it is this attachment which keeps me away from myself. Because attachment, what it does is that it makes my mind think of the object of attachment. Because I think that they are the source of my comfort and happiness. So whenever I look upon something as a source of happiness or comfort, naturally I become dependent. That thing becomes very important to me. I think that I cannot do without that. When I feel that I cannot do without something, it becomes very important to me. And my mind always will think about that because my safety is, is, is attached to this, is, 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 is focused on that, located there. And therefore, mind always thinks because basically what the mind wants is happiness and comfort and security. And therefore, whatever looks upon an object of comfort or happiness, it will start, it will keep on dwelling upon them. Planning and scheming as to how to acquire them, acquire what I like. Oh, planning and scheming as to how to get it or what I dislike. So mind is always scheming and planning and, and deliberating. How to acquire and experience and retain what I like and how to avoid or get rid of what I dislike. There is no time to think of God and no time to think of self. If you look at the thinking process going on in your mind from morning till evening, how much opportunity God has or self has or anything has for that matter in one very little. Because as the mind wakes up, it is only concerned. Ego says, what about me? The senses says, what about me? The intellect says, what about me? The emotions say, what about me? So each one of them prompts me to always think of those respective objects and then plan and how to call my son and how to do this and how to go there and how to travel here and you know, whatever. Thus this attachment, of course it arises from a, a, a false understanding of the nature of things. It is I who superimpose the value to those things and then I look upon them as valuable. Nevertheless, attachment makes my mind think of the objects of attachment. And wherever attachment is, there is going to be aversion also. Because what I want is also wanted by other people. And therefore, it is likely that others will come in the way of my fulfillment of my desire. Then they become the objects of aversion. So, attachment and aversion. Lord Krishna discusses again and again and again as the number one enemies. Enemies for a person who is treading the path of self-knowledge. They may not be enemies for everybody. 
for a person who wants to achieve worldly ends, they may be friends also. But for a person who is seeking knowledge, for a person who wants to be devoted, the person who wants to grow within himself, for that person, these ragadveshas, attachment aversions are definitely great obstacles. <coughs> so vitaraga bhaya both this attachment and aversion, both of them cause fear. The fear also arises from attachment and aversion. Because when I'm attached to something, when something is very important to me, then the mind always apprehension <coughs> as to whether I will get it or not. Or if it is with me, whether will it remain with me or go away. And so, what is dear also causes fear by apprehension of loss or separation. And what I hate also causes fear by the possibility of association. What I don't want, I'm afraid it may, I may be stuck with it. Somebody sends a letter, I'm going to be your guest for 15 days. Oh boy, what's going to happen now? There's tremendous tension. And some people come, there's a lot of tension. As they say, some people spread happiness wherever they go. There are others who spread happiness whenever they go, you know. So it depends on who they are. And therefore, if you are stuck with those of the second kind, then we only wait for them to go. And so even that association causes tension in our mind. So fear is always there. Wherever ragadvesha, the attachment aversions are there, fear is always, fear is always going to be there. Vita Raghavakrodha, and when I cannot have my way, I cannot get what I want, I cannot avoid what I do not want, then there is anger. So raga, bhaya and krodha. The, the nature of an ordinary human being is usually uh, predominant in raga, bhaya and krodha. Attachment and aversion, fear, anger, these things are predominant in an ordinary human being. So Lord Krishna says, my devotees are those who are free from raga, bhaya and krodha. Those who worked for a length of time to get rid of these enemies of attachment, aversion, fear and anger, whose mind is free from this. <coughs> and the other qualification also being told, we will continue that in the next class. <coughs> Om Purnamada Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadaya Purnameva Vashishyate Om Shanti 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 Shankaram Shankaracharyam Keshavam Badarayanam Sutra Bhashya Krutauvande Bhagavanta Upanapunaha Ishvaro Guru Ratmedi Murti Bheda Vibhagine Vyoma Vadvyapta Dehaya Dakshina Murtaye Namaha Om Shanti Hari Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Hari Om